Hi guys, it's Dr. Casperson coming to you from Washington State. Uh, I hope you guys enjoy this master class on pelvic organ prolapse. I actually made it for a Facebook live group and put it on my YouTube at You Are Not Broken. So I pulled the audio and made it a podcast. Enjoy. My name is Dr. Casperson. I am a board certified urologist in Washington State. And it is the time of COVID right now. So I have a lot of downtime that I'm super excited to be able to do this video for. So I've had a lot of requests to talk about prolapse. I'm gonna answer a lot of questions that people have and people are asking me and feel free to write some, write some questions in and we can get to them too. But this is gonna be basically like your master class on prolapse. <laughs> so we're gonna go through hopefully everything on prolapse of like why does it happen to treatment to risks of surgery. This is gonna be like prolapse 101 master class. So, when people talk about prolapse, they talk about pelvic organ prolapse or a descent of basically the vaginal walls through the vagina. Um, I think a lot of misperceptions is, that people have is that like your, your bladder is actually going to fall out, but your bladder is not actually going to fall out. Um, it's the vaginal walls that get weak, the muscles get weak, the connective tissue gets weak, low estrogen as people age or just decreased muscle mass as people age. Also, pushing babies through the vaginal canal causes a huge stretch and laxity that might not always rebound. Usually doesn't rebound um, completely. So I've been doing pelvic exams for 15 years and I'd say anybody who's had a vaginal delivery at least has a grade one prolapse. Not always, um, but there's always some laxity after a big head of a baby has gone through the pelvis. So. They've actually done these studies looking at C-sections versus vaginal deliveries for both incontinence and prolapse, and vaginal deliveries have a much, much higher rate of prolapse and incontinence. So there's truly something about that day spent having the baby go through the vaginal canal, not the nine months of the pressure, but certainly just having nine months of, of uh, human growing in your pelvis can add to the laxity too. So. Um, disclaimers today, I am a board certified urologist. I fix prolapse all the time, except for right now because it's COVID and elective surgeries have completely shut down. So maybe the non-operative um, options are gonna be good for people right now. Um, this is not personal medical advice. Please see your own doctor, but this is based on uh, personal experience, expert opinion, me doing this for a living, and then all the data and research that I know and that I can share with you. So that's your disclaimer. Um, think of the vagina as, so what is prolapse? Think of the vagina as having three sides, front side, top side, back side. Um, front side is gonna be where the bladder sits. Top side is the cervix and the uterus. Back side behind that's the rectum. So think of the vagina as, a, it's a hollow tube as an organ, but I think of it as three sides as front, top, and back as far as easy orientation. So you can have prolapse uh, of any side. The most common, statistically speaking, the most common prolapse side is the anterior wall, or what that's called as an anterior prolapse. So that's the bladder side where the bladder wall will come and hang down. Prolapse, the easy way to grade prolapse is on a scale of one to four. They have fancier things looking at all angles that are, is used a lot in research, but on a scale of one to four is how most people talk about prolapse. Anybody who's had a baby or lived long enough is a grade one, which is just a gentle laxity uh, of the anterior wall. 
And then grade two and grade three, they're related to where the hymenal remnant is, so the distal part of the vagina. Grade two will come down to within a, a, a centimeter of the hymenal remnant. Grade three will come outside uh, the hymenal remnant. And then grade four, I just say, is anybody, your organ or the vagina is kind of between the thighs. It's, it's out most of the time. So grade three and grade four are really kind of the surgical ones grade one and grade two i don't recommend people have surgery for i just don't think it's bad enough that you're going to actually notice a sustained improvement with surgery um certainly grade three and grade four hey samantha thank you um thanks for watching so grade three and grade four those tend to be the symptomatic ones grade one and grade two are they're there, but just because you have prolapse, or here, this is what I see a lot, is you'll go to your primary care doctor uh, and they'll do a pelvic exam, they're doing a pap smear, whatever, and they'll say, oh my gosh, you have a prolapse, and then the woman freaks out and she comes to see me and nothing bothers her. If nothing bothers you, don't get it fixed. You don't need to do anything about it. I might talk to you about physical therapy and core strengthening and some things like that, but there's absolutely, I see people with grade three and some people with grade four, and if they have no dysfunction, meaning urinary dysfunction, bladder dysfunction, sexual dysfunction, if they have no issues with it, there is no reason to have a surgery. As surgeons say, you can't make an asymptomatic person better. So if nothing bothers you, I can't make you any better than that. Um, so I hope that helps kind of dis, dis, uh, dispel the fear of just because you have prolapse doesn't mean you have to do anything about it if nothing bothers you. And I see a lot of those people that, that kind of just get scared, they get told they have that by a doctor. So signs and symptoms of prolapse, pelvic heaviness, pelvic pressure, you might feel part of that tissue when you wipe in the shower or when you're in the bathroom. Severe prolapse, grade three, grade four, might cause urinary retention. Most commonly, I see it as causing overactive bladder. So the bladder doesn't like, I tell people, the bladder doesn't like living in the basement. It likes living up in the penthouse that it was born in. So when it lives in the basement or it's kind of fallen down into that vaginal wall, it tends to get overactive or feel like it doesn't empty well or have a lot of urgency and urge incontinence. So when I counsel people on fixing their prolapse, I say the job of surgery is to fix that pelvic organ prolapse. I can't always guarantee that the bladder symptoms will improve. Same with the bowels. So on the backside, when the rectum protrudes through, commonly you're gonna be bothered by a feeling of stool trapping or even needing to splint. So you press in on the perineum or the vagina in order to strengthen that wall to get a bowel movement to come through. On my, on my intake form, it has, you know, splinting, do you splint? And people will be like, how did you know? <laughs> and I'm like, cause I, I fix prolapse for a living. I know what, what happens when you have a rectocele. So most common thing with a rectocele, again, backside of the vagina, and most common thing with the rectocele is a bulge when you strain or feeling like when you go to have a bowel movement that the stool doesn't come down because that wall is weak and it kind of balloons out very common to have a rectocele and it doesn't bother you at all. So don't get anything fixed just because somebody tells you that that's the way your anatomy looks. Um, but rectocele, certainly grade three, grade four, when you strengthen that wall again, the bowel movements can get a lot, lot better. So that is good. Um, other signs and symptoms. If you read about prolapse, it'll say pain with sex. I majority of my women with prolapse do not have pain or discomfort because of their prolapse. If you have pain with sex, it is there's probably something else going on, whether it's vaginal atrophy, low estrogen, uh, pelvic floor dysfunction, or muscle pain. 
it's probably not the prolapse itself. The prolapse is just a weakened, it's like a hernia. So it's just like a weakened wall. It shouldn't cause pain with sex. So if somebody's telling me that they have pain with sex, I'm very careful to say, hey, surgically fixing your prolapse might not help that pain with sex. Um, and then again, the top side, that's the cervix and the uterus. Um, doesn't tend to be a lot of symptoms with that part coming down. Um, you might see it when you, or feel it when you wipe. But the thing with sex, most people, I'm generalizing, so sorry, but most people are on their back or in a prone position with sexual intercourse and prolapse actually disappears when you're laying down. Um, so when I do exams, I'll do a regular lithotomy exam or up in stirrups, but then a lot of times I have women stand up and kind of press down a little bit because I want to see that what gravity is doing to the pelvis, how it's opening it up and letting those vaginal walls come down. Um, a lot of women with, with prolapse will say, hey, it's great in the morning, but then I'm on my feet all day at work or I'm out gardening all day and it gets really, really heavy by the end of the day. And that's that gravity kind of pulling those walls down. So ligaments hold organs up, muscles hold organs up, and various things can, can compromise that. So age, decreased muscle strength, decreased estrogen status or postmenopause, um, having multiple babies, heavy lifting and straining as a job being on your feet a lot, chronic constipation, anything that's pushing and straining, chronic cough can, can lead to prolapse. Certainly smoking, which is um, weakens your tissue, weakens blood flow, is not good for prolapse. And also the other thing you can't pick is your mom or your parents. So the pelvis that your, your parents gave you and the connective tissue that your parents gave you. A lot of people will say, hey, my sister had prolapse, my mom had prolapse, or my mom had something going on and she never talked about it. Um, now, more than ever, there are specialists like me who see prolapse every single day. But in the older generations, women, people didn't care about people's prolapse, number one. Number two, we didn't have great treatments for them. That said, pessaries, which are little silicone rings that go in the vagina just to kind of splint and hold things up, pessaries have been around forever. Pessaries are like, they're actually in the Egyptian hieroglyphics. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't look that up myself. Um, but so, and the fruit was the first, uh, were the first pessaries that women used. So you basically take a pomegranate, put it in your vagina to hold things up because prolapse can get very, very bad to the point that the uterus, the whole uterus has come out and that skin and vaginal mucosa doesn't like being exposed to air. It likes being moist. It lo loves having estrogen. So certainly a prolapse that's, that's pronounced is very, very uncomfortable and might, might result in complete urinary retention. I've even seen it as much of urinary retention that it's causing hydronephrosis um, or backup of the urine into the kidneys. Or, or severe constipation. So, but that's not to scare you. Most people with pelvic organ prolapse, mild pelvic organ prolapse, will not progress to symptomatic severe pelvic organ prolapse. They've done those longitudinal studies. So most people with mild will stay mild. If you have a mild prolapse, find a pelvic floor physical therapist that can work a lot on lifting, Kegel support, and just doing pelvic floor toning exercises can take those symptoms of heaviness and fullness and fix them. So for mild prolapse, number one, if it's not bothering you, do nothing. Number two, uh, I would say don't do surgery for it. Get a good pelvic floor physical therapist. Ideally a woman, a woman trained in pelvic organ prolapse and stress incontinence or, or bladder incontinence. And if you need help finding a pelvic floor physical therapist, Herman and Wallace is a national organization that does advanced training for physical therapy 
um, clinicians. And you can always say find a pelvic floor physical therapist on the Herman and Wallace website. You can type in your zip code. Um, I live in a town, my county has about 250,000 people in it and we easily have four, four to six great pelvic floor physical therapists. So they're awesome. The other tool that physical therapists will use, so say you have mild, you have grade two prolapse, you're a little bothered by laxity, uh, you don't think it's bad enough or you don't want surgery, um, so you'll, you can get a pessary. And pessary, you can literally, you can buy anything on Amazon. <laughs> but um, pessaries, I tell people, they're like orthotics. They're kind of like shoes. So you want to get fitted to a certain width and depth of you. Um, and ideally, you're, the person who fits you for a pessary is also going to put you on some estrogen cream to really keep that skin nice and healthy so that it's comfortable to take the pessary in and out. But a lot of physical therapists will use a pessary as a tool. So you put this silicone ring and it's flexible. But this is the same as like a Nuva ring for birth control and, you know, or an estrogen ring. So it's kind of, there are other things you put in your vagina um, for medical reasons. But so you fold it, you put it in. Uh, there's hundreds of different shapes and sizes, but the most common is a ring pessary or a ring pessary with support. So you put that in and then you go to your pelvic floor physical therapist and you can actually use it as a biofeedback tool and to feel your pelvis kind of lifting it up. So a lot of physical therapists will look at that. There's actually data, speaking specifically to postpartum women, there's actually data saying that physical therapy with a pessary, what the pessary does is just takes the strain off of the ligaments. So it kind of holds everything up and it lets the body kind of heal around that. Instead of if you don't have a pessary, you kind of have that heavy laxity all the time. So you put that pessary in, it takes the weight off the ligaments and you can actually heal to the point that you take the pessary out and you're like, oh, I'm good, I'm nice. So there's a lot of uh, postpartum data for a lot of women after, especially, we don't wanna hear this. <laughs> the older you are having a child, the more likely your pelvis is not gonna rebound like it would rebound if you were a 21 year old having a baby. So I don't like, I, I always tell everyone, I'm like, I'm not calling you old. <laughs> I'm just saying the older you are when you have a baby, the less likely your pelvis is to bounce back. Um, and I really kind of push that the pelvic floor rehab and pessaries in the postpartum moms because they're really bothered by pelvic heaviness. You've got a new baby and you want to get back into the shape that you feel like you deserve to be in. So I really don't ignore them. I say, let's get on this so that we can we can get you back to feeling as close to normal as, as you can. So that was signs and symptoms. We talked about prolapse. We talked about how you get prolapse. Um, does sex hurt pessaries? Oh, sorry, does sex hurt prolapse? Uh, second question, can you have sex with a pessary? <laughs> so um, sex does not hurt. I have seen lots and lots of women and they stopped having sex because they're worried that their partner or they are gonna hurt their prolapse with sex. You won't hurt it. There's actually some data saying that sex and I assume orgasm is a, it's pelvic exercise, right? Especially orgasm, which is a pelvic floor muscle contraction. There's some data to say that sexually active women have less pelvic organ prolapse and incontinence the theory being the more you exercise, the fitter you are. So there's some data to say keep having sex and you won't hurt it and your partner won't hurt it. And most sex is done in a supine position anyway, so prolapse disappears and goes away and really shouldn't cause problems. Again, if you're having pain with sex, that's never normal. Come and see somebody um, who's who's an expert in pain with sex. So that's that question. The second question is can you have sex with a pessary in 
technically, yes, it's not contraindicated. To me, that's too many cooks in the kitchen, though. <laughs> so I'm like, just take your pessary out, have sex, but you know, put it back in the next morning. But technically, yes, you can have you can have sex with a pessary in place. I haven't seen anybody really want to do that, but there's my there's my thought on sex and pessaries. Um, so other non-surgical options, we talked about pessaries, we talked about physical therapy, treating constipation, and they actually will give you a number. So 25 grams of fiber a day, which you have to keep track. I did it just because I was like, how much is 25 grams? And like a piece of bread is like two grams and an apple has like two or three grams. Like it's actually very hard. Beans are amazing. <laughs> It's actually very hard to get 25 grams of fiber in your diet every single day. Um, and so most people will have to supplement with a fiber product. But they've, there are studies that say that 25 grams of fiber a day will decrease pelvic organ prolapse, decrease straining with bowel movements, and actually fix symptomatic rectocele. So if you take a bulky hard stool out of the pelvis, that symptom of pressure and, and weakness can actually go away. So for my mild rectocele ladies, I'm like 25 grams of fiber and physical therapy. Most of this is not surgical. So up the fiber, it's good for your heart anyways. So good for that. Um, chronic cough, really bad for pelvic organ prolapse. Weight gain, and I'm not talking, I'm not talking like five, 10 pounds overweight, 20 pounds overweight. I'm talking like morbidly obese, just putting that much weight on the pelvis. The bladder hates it. The bladder, I, the bladder's a balloon. And it's also my favorite organ. So I treat it like a kindergartner. I'm like, it just gets bullied. <laughs> Stop bullying the bladder. Um, the bladder hates extra weight on it. And the pelvis, just the more that's kind of pushing and straining those ligaments and muscles, the more you're going to increase your risk for pelvic organ prolapse. Um, so constipation, chronic cough, weight gain, those all can increase your risk for both bladder leakage and pelvic organ prolapse. So... There we talked about non-surgical options. It's time to talk about surgery. This is like a lot. This is now, you know, pelvic organ prolapse going into 20 minutes of it. Good Lord. This is everything you ever wanted to know, I hope. If I don't answer your questions on this video, find me, ask me, and I'll be like, wow, how did I miss that? So let's talk about surgery. So surgery, you can either push it back in or you can pull it up. So you can push it or you can pull it. Pulling it is any sort of abdominal surgery, laparoscopic surgery. The most common abdominal surgery for prolapse now is the robotic sacrocolpopexy, um, which takes forever for people to learn how to say that word. So um, small incisions in the abdomen, you're actually pulling, you're putting a cap. So it literally is a Y mesh. So front of, this is the vagina, front of the vagina, back of the vagina, and then the Y mesh goes onto the sacrum. Um, I personally, in my practice, I save robotic sacrocopopexies for recurrent prolapse. Why? Number one, it's more invasive. It's an abdominal procedure. You have to spend the night in the hospital in most cases, and there's mesh involved. Anytime you have mesh, and, and think of prolapse again, just like a hernia. This is the female hernia. Men have mesh in their inguinal hernias, and it can recur. Um, just think of it as, as a hernia that you're trying to fix. So Robotic sacrocopopexies, they're still allowed to have mesh because it's intra-abdominal. There are rare and devastating mesh complications no matter when you use mesh for abdominal hernias, inguinal hernias, pelvic organ prolapse. They're pretty rare, but it's a laundry list of when you put mesh in your body, sometimes bad things happen. But it's a great repair. It's very durable. Success rate's very high because mesh is stronger than we are. 
And so when you take away mesh, and we'll talk about that, how there, we used to put mesh in the vagina, but now we don't. This is mesh that's actually around the vagina on the inside, so your risk of mesh erosion into the vagina is a lot lower, and that has not been pulled off the shelves, like the FDA pulled the vaginal mesh off the shelves. So I save robotic sacrohopopexies for prolapse recurrence, so you've already had a vaginal surgery, and your prolapse has come back, then we'll say, okay, pushing failed, let's pull it and let's use mesh this time because it's stronger than you, it's gonna give you a more durable hold. But as a, it's your first time prolapse, I don't do it. Um, some surgeons will because they'll say, hey, in a young sexually active woman, let's just put mesh in instead of make an incision in their vagina. It's risk benefit, see what your surgeon's comfortable with. I can only talk about how I was trained and what I save robotic sacrocopopexies for. No lifting over three months for robotic sacrocopopexies. So you have stitches from the top of that Y mesh up here into your sacral ligament. Those stitches have to hold and scar in place. So they do a three month lifting restriction because if those stitches pop, goes all back down. Um, so I've had great, great success with that. Women are really happy. They recover wonderfully. Uh, I have everybody spend one night in the hospital, but then no lifting over 10 pounds for three months for robotic sacrocopopexy. Um, so let's talk about vaginal repairs. So the most common vaginal repair is the anterior repair. Remember the most common prolapse is that front side or bladder side, so anterior repair. Most anterior repairs will be paired with a sacrospinous ligament fixation. I wish I had like a pelvic model, like 3D is very hard to describe. <laughs> but so you make an incision over the prolapse. So if your prolapse, let's say your prolapse is bulging down, right? So you make an incision up there and then you kind of peel off the vaginal epithelium from the, the ripped fascia. You find the torn ripped fascia pieces over here and you bring them together in the middle and that flattens out your prolapse again. Um, all absorbable sutures, we don't, most people, it's, it's the rare kind of academic surgeon who's still putting mesh in, in the vagina. The FDA has basically said that the risks of mesh in the vagina do not outweigh the benefits of mesh in the vagina. And there's no product that's FDA approved on the shelves anymore for vaginal repair of pelvic organ prolapse. So vaginal repair different than abdominal sacrocopal pexy. We're talking about pushing. Um, the reason is that mesh was big. It was like the size of my hand and you lay it in and then you close the vaginal epithelium over it and now you have a big piece of mesh in a very flexible organ that's sexually active and has organs moving around it and there is a, a decent risk of mesh contracture, pain, um, erosion into the vagina, pain with sex and it just it became too much to say that the, the benefit, benefit was a more durable repair, right? Because mesh is stronger than your, your fascia. So that's the benefit, and they said the risks weren't worth it. So most common now is the anterior repair, because that's the most common site of prolapse. Tighten that up, find the torn fascia, tighten it together so you take a bulge and you make it flat, and then you close the vagina over it. That is usually paired with a sacrospinous ligament fixation or a uteral sacral ligament fixation. So at the top of the vagina, you take the top of the vagina and you take absorbable sutures and you tie them up to the ligaments in the pelvis. Um, most common side effect with that is you kind of get sore in the buttock where that stitches for a couple of weeks, but it gets, it gets better. Um, so, and the reason is that's called apical support. And the studies show if you don't do apical support along with your pelvic organ prolapse, that that'll drop down again. 
because you think of the three sides, right? Anterior, top, and back. And so if your, your anterior is bulging, you want to fix that, but then you want to take this and also pull it up. So majority of mine are going to be an anterior repair with a sacrospinous ligament fixation. Um, to me, in my practice, that's an outpatient surgery procedure. I do send you home with a catheter overnight because sometimes the pelvis just gets sore or you're swollen or there's some anesthesia on board. I don't want you in the ER the night of your surgery. So we just instruct you how to take your Foley out the next morning at home, um, take vaginal packing out at home. So outpatient surgery procedure, um, lifting restrictions, six weeks, no lifting over 10 pounds. I put most everybody on vaginal estrogen. I think it helps with healing, blood flow, keeps that collagen there, keeps those tissues thick. Thinned, thin tissue just doesn't do as well. So I, I say estrogen cream for life. Um, because you had prolapse and because you had um, surgery. So, um, rectocele, that's the backside. You can fix that if that bulges, bulges too. So you can have an anterior-posterior repair with a sacrospinous ligament fixation. You can add a mid-urethral sling in there if you have stress incontinence, so leaking with cough, sneeze, laugh. Here's the thing. If you, do, if you have bad prolapse... Bad, bad anterior prolapse and you fix it, there's this thing called de novo stress incontinence, which means I used to not leak because your bladder was kind of kinked off because remember it was living in the basement. I put it back in the penthouse. I changed that angle and now you have leakage. Super annoying when that happens. I don't love it. Patients don't love it. But I talked to everybody about de novo stress incontinence. It's pretty rare that you don't have leakage and then you fix your significant prolapse and you do. They used to put slings in everybody, kind of prophylactic, like you're getting your prolapse fixed, you probably have some sphincter deficiency, let's throw in a sling because you're there anyways. But they found out that they were putting in unnecessary slings and slings are mesh. So now we really make you work for your mesh. If you don't have stress incontinence, you don't get mesh. <laughs> but if you have stress incontinence afterwards, then we say, hey, you're the 10% of the population that unkinked your bladder by fixing your prolapse, now let's do a mesh sling. Um, so we talked about robots, we talked about anterior repairs and posterior repairs, both primary plications, no mesh, certainly no mesh in the posterior um, either, sacrospinous ligament or uteral sacral ligament fixation. Other things to do or to consider is in some women, if their prolapse is really bad, so let's see, there's a vagina with your hymenal remnants, right? With childbirth, with really bad prolapse, you actually get a widening of that posterior part of the vagina and then you can feel a lot of laxity. So two things, number one, sex isn't as great because you have a lot of laxity. This was how your vagina was before prolapse and before childbirth, and now your vagina's here because it's been torn or an episiotomy. Um, or women with really bad prolapse, just having that uterus or having that uh, bladder come through has widened the introitus of the vagina. So that's called a perineoplasty to basically excise that stretched out tissue and then bring, you're not over tightening the vagina. I'm not closing it more than where your hymenal remnant was to begin with, basically where you started out kind of before babies. So this is how you started out with your vagina and then now your vagina looks like this. And women will say, I feel laxity, maybe I don't feel as much sensation with sexual intercourse. And then there's prolapse kind of coming through there. So you fix the prolapse, but in addition, you do that rectocele or that perineoplasty just to reapproximate back to where you started from, not overly tightening the vagina. See, that can be another little piece of prolapse surgery. Um, more for older women, certainly non-sexually active women, an option is called copoclysis or closing of the vagina. 
you basically take off the epithelium from the top and bottom and then sew the vagina together. So think of a tube sock, right? The vagina is a tube sock. <laughs> Sorry, vagina. Um, and that tube sock's being turned inside out. What you're gonna do is you're gonna put it backside and then you're gonna sew the tube socks together. So there's no longer a hole, it's just sewn together. Um, success rate's really high because you can't have things prolapse through a hole that doesn't exist anymore. I have seen some copalchiasis fail and what I think it is is it's overweight, chronic constipation, and then actually the whole bowl of the pelvis is so weak that actually like the, there's no bone at the bottom. And so just the whole thing and it just kind of drops down again. So I have seen um, recurrence from copalchiasis, but it's pretty rare. Copalchiasis works probably as well as the robotic sacrocopalpexy because you're literally closing a hole. You can't have sex again. Um, the other thing about, what were we gonna talk about? Um, success rate, so success rate of robots high, success rate of copalchiasis is high. Anterior repair, primary plication um, is, <laughs> Keisha says, oh no, that's hectic. Oh my gosh, what's hectic? My fast paced, my fast paced talk. Um, success rate of anterior posterior primary plication. So that's the most common surgery. Success rate is not as high because we're using your tissues. Remember the FDA pulled the mesh out. Um, so success rate is lower and a lot of women might need repeat surgeries. How to not need repeat surgeries? Estrogen cream, avoid super heavy lifting and straining and go. I send everybody to physical therapy afterwards because you need to know how to lift smart. A lot of women kind of push out through the pelvis when they lift. You gotta engage the core, protect that pelvis. So I think there's studies that say it doesn't help. I don't believe it. <laughs> I send everybody to pelvic floor physical therapy after prolapse surgery because the behaviors that got you, and it's just like a male hernia, right? The behaviors that got you to pelvic organ prolapse in the first place, you have to correct all those behavioral structural deficiencies in order to not restrain that pelvic floor. So I hope the, Oh, <laughs> Keisha clarified. She's like, the closure of the vagina is hectic. Yeah, yeah. No, that's a, it's a thing. Um, especially going back to copalchiasis for women who don't want, they're frail, right? So you can do it under spinal. It's a shorter surgery. Um, they don't want to ever deal with it coming back. So recurrence rate. So there's a lot of reasons for copalchiasis, but it's, it's not, certainly not for everybody. Certainly not for the majority. Um, so you can, going back to the anterior posterior repair with the sacrospinous ligament, the, the recurrence rate is higher. Um, I had a lady and she had a great repair and did great and then she was bailing hay the next summer for her, she lived on a farm and she blew out her anterior repair again. Um, so yeah, it can, you, it's a hole pointing towards the ground. <laughs> I used to think, I actually used to think that like, it was a consequence of two-legged animals and like four-legged animals must not have prolapse because you know their vagina goes this way and our vagina goes this way. Um, but then somebody showed me a video of a cow who had uterine prolapse after a childbirth and I'm like, oh my lord, poor cow. Um, so it can happen to our four-legged friends. So here's another question. Should I get a hysterectomy at the same time as my prolapse? So I'm coming in, I'm complaining mostly of anterior pelvic organ prolapse some bladder overactivity, some uh, pelvic heaviness. When I wipe, I feel that prolapse and that's my anterior side. But I have still have a cervix, I still have a uterus. Should I have that removed at the same time? There are studies that have compared this. They've said, should, should you do uterine sparing, prolapse repair? So you're still gonna do your sacrospinous ligament and your anterior repair, but you're gonna keep your cervix and keep your uterus. They've done those studies. They think it's a wash. 
They think they don't fare any worse. Now, take that to my clinical practice. I'll fix your anterior repair, but now I've, I've opened up and made that tunnel again, and now your uterus is gonna fall down at some point. So thinking of, yes, it's a bigger surgery to have a hysterectomy. My ladies, I always coordinate with gyne. I don't do hysterectomies. Um, it's a bigger surgery. It's a night in the hospital, certainly more risk, more invasive with the hysterectomy, but it's going to save you from that uterus and cervix ever falling out again when you're older. So pros and cons on that. Um, also increased risk of sexual side effects or vaginal shortening with having a, a total hysterectomy. Um, but not everybody has that, but again, so there's risk. It's more surgery, but your uterus and your cervix are never gonna fall out again. So I used to do, in my practice, I used to do more uh, uterine sparing hysterectomies than I do now, because now I've seen a couple, when they, they'll come back and they're like, my prolapse is back. And you're like, no, the wall I fixed is actually looks great. It's your uterus that has now fallen down. So it's like, it's the only organ that you can actually remove in the whole prolapse um, debacle. So I tend to at least have a woman go talk to um, a gynecologist. If the gynecologist says her uterus is completely well supported, let's hold off at this time, just fix what's bothering her, totally fine. Um, but so that's kind of in my clinical practice. But the studies say you don't have to. You don't have to have a hysterectomy. Um, yeah, certainly, Keisha, we're talking about risks of prolapse, um, a challenging vaginal delivery, forceps, episiotomy, third and fourth degree tears, all that can lead to pelvic floor prolapse in the future, absolutely. Um, so risks of surgery, risks of surgery. I, I'm a surgeon, so I, I keep it simple for my patients. I say there's five. There are always five risks of surgery. Pain, bleeding, infection, damage to surrounding structures, need for further procedures. So in prolapse, pain, usually short-term, I send people home with a, a pain pills, but most, but it's minimal, and most people don't need them. Plus, I tell everybody they're constipating. So I just say Tylenol and ibuprofen and stool softeners. Uh, Long-term pain, pretty rare, especially when you're not putting any mesh in there anymore. Um, and pain in general, if you had pain beforehand, I'm going to think more musculoskeletal, still have you see that pelvic floor physical therapist. Um, pain from the scars, pretty rare. I put everybody on vaginal estrogen. Really helps with uh, scars, keeping the tissue soft and moist and from kind of contracting. So that's pain. Bleeding, needing a blood transfusion, um, pretty minimal. Very, very rare to have severe bleeding with pelvic organ prolapse. Pain, bleeding, infection. Pretty rare to have uh, infection with pelvic organ prolapse. Uh, pain, bleeding, infection, damage to surrounding structures. This is the biggest one for the pelvis. There's, they, they say God put the pelvis, or God put the uh, plumbing through the playground. <laughs> so damage to surrounding structures. There's a lot of things down there, you guys. Rectum, rectal injuries, uh, ureter, ureteral injuries, bladder, bladder injuries. Um, those are the common ones. Uh, those are all super scary. We don't like it when they happen. Pretty rare. Have, have somebody do your surgery who does a lot of these. Um, a lot of them because they're just a lot more comfortable with that and know the planes a lot. So don't go see somebody who's like, yeah, I did this in residency. How hard can it be? Mm -mm. Don't see, don't see that person. <laughs> see somebody who does prolapse for a living. Um, and the, and risks still happen. Every, every pelvis is different, especially if you're overweight, um, you have very thin tissues because of low estrogen, uh, so very thinned tissues or very severe prolapse, so the planes are completely not how Mother Nature put them up 
in, to begin with. So certainly there's risks even in the best surgeon. Um, so choose your surgeon wisely, a high volume surgeon. Getting back to my five, pain, bleeding, infection, damage to surrounding structures, need for further procedures. The biggest one for that, de novo stress incontinence happens sometimes, recurrent prolapse will happen sometimes, um, and then wound breakdown, pretty rare. Uh, need for further procedures really is kind of limited to those. Really the most common ones would be change in the bladder that we still have to address. So over, talking about prolapse and overactive bladder, the bladder hates living downstairs. So we put the bladder upstairs, your overactive bladder gets better, your urgency gets better, maybe you're not getting up so much at night. But remember, we're not fixing prolapse for overactive bladder. Plenty of people have overactive bladder and don't have prolapse. So it's not a one-on-one. -on -one. So a lot of women are like, okay, well, I really hope my bladder gets better. It's like, we hope so too. But we're fixing prolapse to fix prolapse. We might still have to do more work with overactive bladder. Um, so it's, it's not a promise. We do prolapse surgery for the bulge. Um, do I need a Foley afterwards? Yes, I send everybody home with a Foley, even if it's an outpatient surgery. Um, the exception to that would be if it's a straight up, just a rectocele, just a posterior, your bladder shouldn't be that that involved um, with, with having trouble peeing. But uh, that is, it's so funny, because a lot of women are like, I'll, I'll have surgery, but I don't want a Foley. It's like, Foley's are scary, man. People just, they'd rather not have surgery than wake up with a Foley catheter. And so sometimes we have to talk about expectations. I'm like, if we fix your broken ankle, you're going to wake up with a cast. <laughs> it's part of the healing process. Um, let's see, what else? That That's it. That is 37 minutes of prolapse. <laughs> so we talked about what it is. We talked about non-surgical approaches. We talked about surgery. We talked about post-op expectations. Um, we talked about you don't have to do anything. Just because somebody says you have a prolapse, who cares? If it doesn't bother you, I, nobody can make an unbothered person any happier. So I hope this answered all of your questions. I'm here for you. I'm so glad. It's a blessing in disguise that I have some downtime during COVID that I can do these videos. I love, love talking to people about what I know and empowering women to go seek the healthcare that they need and deserve. So I love you. I'm going to sign off. I'm here if, I, if you need me. Take care.